0: If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Psalm chapter 31, Psalm 31. Here we are at uh, number 31 in our every uh, summer series in the Psalms, seeing all of life as worship through the Psalms. I would think that we've all heard the expression, misery loves company. Misery loves company. It's a proverb meaning in general that people suffering are comforted to know that others are also unhappy. Now I want you to spend a moment and recall a time when you were miserable, absolutely miserable, and everybody knew it. But I want you to also recall a time when you were miserable, down to the core of your being, to your bones. You were absolutely, unquestionably miserable. But no one knew it. With this in view, let's turn to Psalm 31. Because for believers, for Christians, it's not so much that misery loves company as it is that misery needs company. As God's Word is read and heard, let's also keep these words from Paul's letter to the Romans in mind, that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Let's pray. Oh Father, You indeed are the God of endurance and encouragement. You endure with us, Your people and in so many ways, you encourage your people. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that now through your Word, by your Spirit. Father, we do not want this to be information only. Through your, the powerful working of your Holy Spirit, we want this to be used for our transformation. That we would die more and more to sin and live more and more to righteousness. That we would become more like our Savior. Father, be pleased to bring your word to bear on our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's listen now to Psalm 31, to the choir master of Psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. And you take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction." You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sign. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. In the sight of the children of mankind, in the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in the shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong. And let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Remember, we've been saying in the words of John Calvin that the Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. They open us up so that we can see what's on the inside. They they close us up as well. You see, the Psalms are speaking a common language of faith and experience. As you read in the Preparing for Worship email, this quote from the article, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? In the Psalms, God has given the church a language which allows it to express even the deepest agonies of the human soul in the context of worship. Now, today people talk about authenticity, about it's got to be real. I mean, go to the grocery store now and you've, you've got to see all the labels to prove this is authentic, this is real. But of course, that's, we're talking about people's lives. Be real, be authentic. Well, my friends, the church, the people of God has had something in their possession for their blessing for centuries the psalms the prayer and songbook of the church that if anything is authentic if if anything is real i mean did you hear the words from psalm 31 anguish deep sorrow anguish misery now psalm 31 is some familiar terrain and themes that we've already seen trouble A cry for help, God's answer, thanks being given. There's an invitation for people to join the psalmist in in prayer and praise. As you listen to Psalm 31, the, the, the details are vivid, but they're not specific. It allows us to say, really, this could be me. He's talking about my life last week. Yesterday, this morning, Psalm 31 has impressed itself on more than one biblical character. Deeply enough to come to mind at times of supreme crisis. We hear these words in the prayers of Jonah. We hear these words in the prayers of Jeremiah. The psalmist here asked the Lord to be gracious to him. We see that at verse 9. Be gracious to me. Why? Why such a request? Because he is miserable. In this song that God's people, even miserable Christians can sing... There is a note of distress, and so let's consider, first of all, what David is facing. Let's take a look at the distress, and we see that mainly in verses 9 through 13. This distress, this misery is comprehensive. It's almost like it's 24-7. It's unstopping. It's unceasing. There seems to be no escape. It's coming from 360 degrees. In the first eight verses, it's as if the, the psalmist is saying, I'm being hunted down. And then for the next 11 verses, he's, he's saying, I'm being rejected. It's interesting. It's, it's he's being pursued to be killed, but he's also just fundamentally being rejected as a man, rejected as a human. And notice the language that the psalmist uses. There's distress, wasted from grief, There's sorrow and sighing, and there's failing strength. It's terror from the outside. David lives, as we read in verse 13, with terror on every side from both foe and friend alike, uh, foes that afflict him and friends and neighbors that abandon him. There's terror from the outside. There is weakness on the inside. Look at verse 10. David says that my strength fails because of my iniquity, because of my sin. You see, the enemy that David is facing is not just out there, it's in here. He recognizes it. It's what we would later come to say, the world, the flesh, and the devil are all against David. He's in distress. He's miserable. now. Sometimes when life is good and we've got one problem to address, one problem, we can focus our energy and our time and address it. But do you all ever feel, have you ever felt closed in on all sides? Some of you, I'm sure, have had what kind of can be diagnosed as a panic attack. You're paralyzed. You can't move. If you do move, your head is on a swivel, spinning around, trying to focus on just one of the many things coming at you. You're miserable. Has, has your mind, has your thoughts ever been, as it were, in molasses? Are you trying to put your glasses on to focus on something and all you see is blurriness? Blurriness. You're miserable. You're in distress. And again, some people may know it. But you may be doing a really good job hiding it. Covering it. And no one knows. Well, David is in distress. He's miserable. But he's not going to keep it inside. He's not going to cover it up. He... He is not silent. He he sings this song. He he prays. He pleads. He cries out in distress. Over and over and over again. He piles word after word after word to get God's attention. It's not just the the woman who keeps asking the judge for justice. And Jesus is telling us that so that we would keep on praying. It's It's as if David is saying, okay, God, if you don't recognize this word, I'm going to use that word and then this word. You know, we know a little bit about David, don't we? King David, mighty warrior. I mean, just read the descriptions of David as an army leader. Brave, fearless. And yet, this same man Is not afraid to cry out to God for help. He's not afraid to beg for mercy. He's not afraid to be weak. He prays, he pleads, he cries out while in distress over and over and over again, word after word after word, to get God's attention. Is that you? Or is your life just, the new vice these days is comfort and ease? Is your life so comfortable? Are you working so hard to keep it easy and on the downhill? That you really, why would I cry out for help? Why would I plead? Why would I pray? In the words Of a child, I can do it myself. Well, David's distress, as we just saw, drives him to ask for deliverance. He's not so much begging, God, get me out of here, although there is that a bit. It's pleading for God to be with me in here. And so in the song that David and the people of God are singing, there's also not only a note of distress, but a note of deliverance and I want us to notice a fundamental principle at work here David in so many words is saying God be to me what you are God be to me what you are or what you are God be to me look for example at verses 2 and 3 to see this David says at the end of verse 2, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. But then right in the next verse, for you are my rock and my fortress. He's asking God to be to him what God has said he is. You've heard it here before, it's it's the Christian life. It's, It's be who you are. It's live out who God has declared you to be. It's it's the indicative that precedes and fuels the imperative. David's fundamental orienting principle in his prayer for deliverance is, God, be to me who you are. He's asking for deliverance multiple times in multiple words to get God's attention. Deliver me. Verse 1, incline your ear. Verse 2, rescue me. Verse 2, rescue me. Verse 15, make your face shine upon your servant. Verse 16, and then, of course, save me. He's asking for help. He's begging for mercy. He's asking to be rescued and saved. In your misery, whatever it may be right now, Are you wanting to get out of it? Are you wanting God to be in it with you? And we see in this psalm, deliverance is provided. Look with me at verse 5. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You see in verse 8, you have set my feet in a broad place. I'm rescued I'm standing, he says. Therefore, both before and after his deliverance, he can declare his trust and confidence. We see in verse 14 and 15, but I trust you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. In other words, my life, my all is in Your hand, because as we sang before, David knows that the ear of sovereign grace is still listening, the the door to the mercy seat is still open. In verse 19, he exclaims, Oh, how abundant is your goodness! and in verse 21, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. God be to me who you've declared yourself to be. And so we've seen that David's distress leads him to cry out for deliverance. Deliverance that God has provided and deliverance that God will provide. And so we see also in this song that believers even, and in particularly miserable believers can sing, There's a note of delay. A note of delay. Now wait a minute. Didn't you just say that David prayed and God heard and answered and delivered? Yes, but there's a note of delay. Where do we see that? Notice that this psalm is directed to a certain group of people. It's addressed. It's written for A specific group of people. Notice with me the end. The last few words. The end of verse 24. All you who wait for the Lord. And who were those people who wait for the Lord? We see it right before that. His saints. His saints. Love the Lord, all you His saints. And interestingly... You think about saints as a New Testament word, as Paul addresses believers in various churches as saints, absolutely, but here, here in the Old Testament, this word that we get, saint, is related to the word that means God's steadfast love. It's his has said, His his covenant, loyal, unbreakable, undeserved, faithful love. The saints are not people who are, in this case, holy and set apart. Yes, they are. But in particular, they are people who have received God's covenant love. They address Him as Yahweh, the covenant-making and keeping Lord. Who are His saints? Those who are in covenant with Him and who are true to that covenant. They believe, they trust. You see, waiting on the Lord, as we see, all you who wait on the Lord, waiting on the Lord is really one of the primary expressions of our faith. The author to the letter to the Hebrews says it like this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Paul writes to the church in Rome, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, hope, biblical hope, that anchor for the soul, hope knows that the result is absolutely certain. What hope doesn't know... Is the timing. You see, hope is absolutely assured of the result, but it's unsure of the timing. David is showing us that we are called here, God's people are called to live on the basis of what God has revealed not on what he has not revealed, and certainly not on what we feel. We must not go on feelings of self-sufficiency as David expressed in Psalm 30, or despair as he's expressing in a variety of ways here in Psalm 31. There's the need to judge by what we securely know rather than by what we feel. And I'm sorry our two pilots aren't here today because... I've talked to them before. They've been in the storm. They've been in the clouds. They've been in bad situations where they had to trust the instruments. They had to trust the instruments, not the way things looked out the windshield. The Christian is called to trust the instruments as well. Feelings come and go, are up and down. But God's truth is steady, sure, and certain. And we see here that waiting on the Lord is not passive. Rather, it is very active. What are we called to do while we wait? What are we called to do in the time between the already and the not yet? Look with me again at verse 23. Love the Lord. We're called to love the Lord. What else are we called to do? We see it in verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Now we've, we don't have time to even address one of these. But scripture of course does address our call to love the Lord. Our call to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And our call to take courage. Now notice, all of those verbs, all of those commands, it's to everyone, it's plural. You don't do this alone, you do it together. You see, misery, in the midst of misery we are called to love the Lord. We're called to Be strong. We're called to let our heart take courage in the midst of misery and we're called to do that together. You see, misery doesn't so much love company as misery needs company. Because in this life, we are not promised an end to trouble. Jesus makes that very clear. But we are promised the strength To meet the trouble. Did you notice how the end of verse... The end of 31 is an echo of the end of 27. Back in 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And when we were there at the end of uh, the last summer series. I made this comment. um, a, A commentator says this. It is no surprise that saints of great vision should sometimes pray prayers whose answers do not arrive till after they have gone to glory, but they see plenty of the goodness of the Lord before they go. They are the kind of people who know all about the alert, tiptoe expectancy, which is what Scripture means by wait for the Lord, and which gives His hard-pressed people heart and strength. You see, if anything, we see God's people being hard-pressed. But you know what? Go back to verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. Isn't it wonderful to think that God is storing up goodness for His people? And who are His people? People who fear Him. And people who take refuge in Him. So let me ask you all this. How are you doing right now when it comes to waiting for the Lord? Waiting for the Lord. To deliver. To rescue. To show up. Are you still nonetheless while you're waiting loving Him? Encouraging others to love Him. Are you being strong, not in yourself, but in the strength that He provides? Are you taking heart? Are you being encouraged? Are you encouraging one another? Well, as I've mentioned, the Psalms give words to believers to express faith and trust in God in the midst of misery. Psalm 31 gave words to Jonah. It gave words to Jeremiah. And of course, Psalm 31 gave words to Jesus. You see, we cannot look at Psalm 31 apart from looking at it through the lens of the one who really sang this psalm. Last year when we were in Psalm 22, we heard, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of Jesus' last words on the cross. And here in Psalm 31, verse 5, is the last recorded words of Jesus before He dies. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Jesus adds, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, Jesus is really the only one who can sing this psalm in all integrity. As bad as, as David had it, it was really worse for someone else. And if you would, turn with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah Fifty-three. I just want to read a couple of verses. Speaking of the suffering servant, we read this. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not... Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That's our Savior. What other religion would have a Savior who is rejected? What other religion would have a Savior that is so marred that people could not even look upon His face. But because Jesus committed Himself into His Father's hands at the cross and, as we know, was delivered, so also we can commit our lives into His hands and be delivered. Yes, from temporary trials and difficulties, but really from the ultimate trial, the ultimate trouble, the ultimate distress and misery that awaits us all. Death. We're all still waiting for deliverance from death, and yet through faith in Jesus, that deliverance is absolutely guaranteed. Look back with me at verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. What a great statement, but here's a question. Where do you take refuge? Where do you run in your misery? I grew up in North Carolina, and I loved Carolina basketball and I had posters of Michael Jordan in my room. Michael Jordan, most people will recognize, is probably the greatest basketball player ever. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, this is what he said in his speech. Quote, As I close, the game of basketball has been everything to me. My refuge. My place I've always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. So my friends who are probably dealing with misery to one degree or another right now, where is your refuge? Is it in something that's doing damage to you and others? Is your refuge in something that you know cannot provide what you're seeking from it? Where are you looking for your comfort and peace in the midst of a sinful and fallen world, a world of misery? Again, verse 1, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. And this should remind us of what shows up every few weeks here. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong in body and soul, in life and in death. To who? To my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the one who was miserable absolutely miserable on the cross for us to deliver us from the misery of death? You see, our present misery doesn't so much need or doesn't so much love company as it needs company. And you see, my friends, our present misery has the company of Jesus because by faith in Him and through the accompanying power and presence of the Holy Spirit he is with us we have company in our misery and you know what again misery doesn't so much love company as it needs company it needs the company of God's people our misery needs the company of the church We need one another. Oh, how we need one another to love God, to be strong, and to let our heart, when it absolutely doesn't want to, to take courage. Because the Lord is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You For this real and this authentic portrayal of life here and now. We thank you God that your word is not so sanitized as to prevent this kind of description from being available to your people. Oh Father, we pray that this word that we have just focused our attention on would... Point us to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who indeed did endure the cross, endure the misery, so that we could endure and triumph. Oh, Father, we thank you that when we have cried out to you for mercy, you have given us the answer we need in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.